This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The facts that will be presented are true. Scientists representing the world's foremost research centers took part in the examination of the evidence. I'm Chris. I'm Chad. And together, we're a pair of normal guys. Oh, well, that might be a stretch. Normal in respects to some. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Within parameters? Yeah. It's relative. Oh, well. (laughs) Like an uncle or an aunt? Kind of a third cousin. Oh, okay. Twice removed. No. Whatever that means. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I don't either. So what's new, Mr. Chad? Um, let me think. We have a secure parameter in our backyard now. Parameter or perimeter? Either one. Oh, okay. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Actually, no. They're not oh. different pronunciations. They're different words. Oh, parameter is what? From here to there? Perimeter is the outside edge of something, right? I think. Yeah. You don't even know, do you? I know they're different. Leave well, me alone. Well, anyway, so... We got a fence constructed so our tiny little fur babies can roam free. Run like maniacs. They do, too. Yep. Free to seek out and eat all the poop they can find. Born free. Mm-hmm. It's their natural wild instinct that takes over. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you look at them, you can see some of the wild dogs in them You can still. see the wolf in both of them still. <laughs> Especially Rufus. He is. Teeth like a maniac. What's going on with you, Mr. Caffrey? Oh, you know... Same old, same old for the most part. Yeah. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did. Good. Had family yeah. over. Cooked a turkey that was way too large. Mm-hmm. What'd you do with all the extra turkey? It's, I think it's still sitting in the fridge. Oh. It's probably mm. changing colors by yeah. this point. Might come back to life. <laughs> I'll feed it to the dog one day. Give it to the turtle. Turtles are, well, the species of turtle we own is vegetarian, Chad. Oh, so he won't know. Think he will. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll, <laughs> he'll be like, like, what is this? Like, hmm. Then wh- what happens if he turns like bloodthirsty then? You and give you him a little don't. turkey and all of a sudden he's like, I need meat. You just don't <laughs> let the kids put their fingers in there anymore. Vienna sausages. <laughs> oh, well, if you had pet piranha, just feed him that. I could. Then they get real sleepy. Yeah, they're like, oh, trip to fan. Yep. Then they probably... Well, no, they're not sharks. They don't have to keep swimming to live. So. No, they can just lay down there and You breathe. just find them on the bottom going... <sniffs> little air bubbles coming up from their nose. Why would there be air bubbles coming up? Because when you snore, there's air bubbles. But fish don't breathe in you, air. No. 
You take it back. Are you are you doing some animated version of I Sleeping am. Piranha? In all the cartoons, when fish sleep, there's bubbles. Oh, okay. I guess. Sure. Exactly. True. So anyway, moving on. Yes. <laughs> One little tidbit I'd like to uh, throw out there for everybody is, uh, once again, I want to thank William Blanchard for coming on the show last time. Yep, that's fun. Being our first guest, talking crazy tombs. Mm-hmm. Also, he has a new song out called Drone 44. Drone 44. Drone 44. It is mm-hmm. on SoundClick. Uh, I think I've forwarded it a couple times on Facebook, but mm-hmm. go ahead and give it a listen. It's a pretty cool song. He's got a lot of guitars in this one. Sounds like a, a 80s horror movie soundtrack. Nice. So give that a share. Give it a like. Show him some love. Because he helps us out quite a bit on the show. Groovy. Speaking of drone, <laughs> if anybody out there would like to uh, get me a DJI Mavic for Christmas. Now, is that the same one, or is that a new model you've moved well, to? Well, the, the Mavic is the one I've, that I've moved to, but I've moved to that one a while back. <laughs> the Mavic's nice. It's the one you can actually fold up and throw in your pocket if you needed to. Does it have heat-seeking missiles? With a, with a Chinese-ordered eBay item. Nice. You can probably modify it with that. <laughs> and add sidewinders. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sidewinder missile. It'll probably play some Top Gun music while you're flying it around. I went through the... the danger zone. Uh, Splash! 23, whatever they say. Splashboard. I, I don't know. Whatever crazy jet fighter lingo they throw out in there. Yeah. Val Kilmer needs some money now, probably, so I could probably get him to come. And you get your drone, Chad. Stuff. I'll get a drone. Yeah. And I'll be your wingman anytime. Nice. Thanks, Goose. He was on ER. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> nerds. Uh, and I think movie. there's also a little uh, little snippety tidbit of info that you want to throw out. Yeah, actually I do. Uh, since it is a season of giving, I would like for people to consider that gifts don't always need to be given to human beings. If you go to our website, paironormalguys.com, You'll have the opportunity to get one of the greatest gifts there is. I, I agree. And that is a Paranormal Guys t-shirt. Now, the t-shirt has an amazing graphic on it. And believe it or not, Chris and I are not making anything off these shirts. Chris supplied this awesome graphic for a campaign called Booster. And uh, what they're doing is, if we get 50 shirts out the door, they are going to write a nice big fat check to the Humane Society. So our little furry friends that may not have a nice warm home with uh, people who love them at the moment. Uh, they can help take care of them and help them get placed in homes with their forever families. And uh, that's very important. So if you would like to uh, get yourself a nifty t-shirt and feel good about the fact that you're helping out some little fur babies that don't have a uh, good place right now, then you can definitely do that. And you know, nothing says love like the gift of a Paranormal Guys t-shirt. That's true. They make excellent Christmas gifts. They do. They're practical. They are. You can wear them outside. You can wear them inside. You can wear them with pants. You can wear them without pants. And now I'm going to throw this out here. Chad, we haven't discussed this. Uh Uh-huh. But if anyone out there would like to buy one of those Paranormal Guys Mm t-shirts and help us support the Humane Society... If they send that to us, uh oh, we will autograph that shirt so you can have 
a souvenir memento keepsake collectible item that you can proudly get mounted and framed and hang on your wall. That's true. And we'll even pay return shipping. Yes, we will. <laughs> we'll, we'll send the shirt back, we swear. Yes, we will. We won't go, ha ha. Yeah, because probably you'll wear a size that we couldn't wear anyway. Yeah, a size that might fit like over my head and on an arm and then... A calf wrap. Yeah. Then it's in danger of ripping seams if I go any further. That's true. Which, hey. Hey. There's nine pounds less of me now than there was the last show. That's just... I mean, you go to the bathroom like three times a day. Well, but no, I started actually deciding that it was time to get in some kind of shape other than round. So I'm eating a little better and actually started exercising. Well, good, Chris. That I tell way. you what, there there was a day and a half, two days that going up and down stairs hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hurt bad. Gotta be careful, sir. Blow out your O-ring. Uh, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, Chris, are there any other special news items that we're going to be doing today? Um, Not personally, but I do know. The triumphant return, once again, of the Pero News stories Wow, is uh, making a return today. Awesome. So, I'll let you start it off, Chad. Okay. Over from the news desk, who you jogged over to. Oh, yeah, now I'm I'm all out of breath. It's okay. I had to run all the way over here. Well, you'll be fine. We all like Bigfoot. Oh, and before I talk about this, I did want to point (laughs) out, if anybody who does still watch Saturday Night Live, which I, I do watch it occasionally... Uh, over the weekend, they had a really good spoof of Finding Bigfoot, and it was like hunting Hillary. So basically, it's like Finding Bigfoot, but they're out looking for Hillary Clinton. So I do recommend you uh, you watch that on Hulu or whatever. Watch it when they play a repeat, whatever. It's a lot of fun. But speaking of Bigfoot, <laughs> two people drive up on Bigfoot in West Virginia. Drove it's- up on him or just saw him? Well, they didn't say they had to get their car fixed. This comes to us from Cryptozoology News. Pendleton County, West Virginia. A couple in West Virginia say they are sure they had a Bigfoot encounter. Wesley and his wife said last Monday they were driving on Route 33 when they spotted the creature near Franklin in Pendleton County. I observed a large object beside the road, he told Thomas Markham. My wife asked what was beside the road. I replied it was a bear. A bar. Wesley said he immediately recognized the beast's shape and was able to identify it as a Sasquatch, but that he did not want to tell his wife because she didn't think these creatures are real. I didn't want to get into that discussion again, but then she said, That was not a bear. That was Bigfoot, said Wesley. The alleged encounter with the biped, which reportedly took place around 10 p.m., lasted about 15 seconds. The couple did not provide photographic evidence but believe the ape-looking animal was covered in black hair and about seven feet tall. Mm. Wesley said they turned back to take a better look, but that they were not able to spot it again. Markham, who claims over 20 years of experience researching paranormal, says the couple will be investigating the site once they obtain permission from the owner of the property. In 1986, the summer of Transformers the movie, two men claimed to have been attacked by what they described as a black gorilla near Cacopon, I think is how you say that. C-A-C-A-P-O-N for anybody that lives in West Virginia. I'm sorry. Yes. In the contiguous state of West Virginia, in 2015, a man said he had hit and killed a Bigfoot creature while driving a truck in Idaho. 
spilling <laughs> all of his potatoes. Oh, no. No, I just added the potato part in because it sounded exciting and very funny. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> so they spotted Bigfoot on the side of the road. Was he hanging out, popping a squat, eating roadkill, <laughs> chewing his berries? Hitchhiking? We don't know. He could have. He didn't have his thumb up. Beef jerky. Beef we know jerky. he likes beef jerky. Now, here's a uh, question for you, Chad. Yeah. I noticed they... Uh, I did notice that they said that he was black. Now, is that, are the colors of Bigfoot and Sasquatch and everything, is that kind of a territorial thing? Because don't you get a lot of the, a lot of the Pacific Northwest Bigfoot are that normal brownish red color. And then I know, what is it, the skunk ape around southern states, Florida, Mm -hmm. are typically black. So is that kind of a territorial, like, different color variations depending on geography? I really don't know. I mean, I I understand what you're saying. I've heard that too. But the thing is that uh, color on fur, especially anywhere that's darker in the woods, can be misidentified. Right, because you know, a typical I, Bigfoot's that dark yeah. reddish brown. So if you see him in the woods and it's a little dusky, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I could see it laying like, oh, you know, he's black. I can tell you for sure, like our, our little dog Rufus. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's black. I mean, he's a he's black hair. He anywhere, is. He's, but he's outside. When the sun hits it, you see that the rest of his fur is black, but it's actually brown on his face. But you wouldn't know that until you're out in sunlight. So people could see different colors depending on lighting condition. I don't know that there is a color to a particular Bigfoot, but I know that there's a wide range of colors that are spotted that are very easy to tell the difference, like gray, white, well, and like the uh, dark Patterson Gimlin footage. Yeah, definitely black. Uh, I would say it's black. I mean, if you got up there and you know stuck the Bigfoot right in front of your nose and you could see it real close, maybe it's a dark brown. <laughs> right maybe before it's not, you died, you'd be, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's right. not really black. <laughs> right before you got Patty slapped. Uh, but no, I mean, I don't know of a correlation of color. Okay. Area and type, but it, there could be. There could be something I don't know. But Yetis are white. That's what they say. Because of snow. Because they just, that's how they dance. I think your pacemaker went off. It might have. It <laughs> uh, probably was. No, actually, the battery's dead on it. <laughs> I have to get it cut out and replaced uh, this month. Nice. Yeah. Well, Chad, I've got one here, too. Okay. Mysterious platypus venom may be a medicinal elixir. Platypus venom. That's right. Do they actually have venom? The males do. They have she they have little, little foot spurs on their back legs that like they'll peg mm-hmm. you with, and apparently it causes the most intense excruciating pain for like three days oh. afterwards. And then the platypus swims away, looking all cute, going, hey, and "I stabbed you with my leg." Oh, <laughs> it's hard to smile at you with that duck bill. I think they have a constant smile hmm. with the little bill. They always look so happy. Until they stab you. (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. did you know that there's no universally accepted plural of platypus in English, in the English language? I did not. That the popular platypi is an incorrect form of pseudo-Latin, and that the most popular plural is platypuses, which I hope the story gets further into it, because it has nothing to do with deadly platypus venom. Well... Did you know that male platypuses produce a potent venom which they excrete and inject via spurs on their hind legs to ward off competitors during mating season? Hmm. And you've never seen violence until you've seen a platypus duel. Platypus street fight. That's right. Jets. How do they roll their little feet in that uh, 
like resin and then stick the glass on them? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't know. One of those mysteries. Yeah. Did you know that the same venom has been discovered to contain a hormone which can also treat type 2 diabetes in humans? Uh-oh. Well, so instead of time taking, for me to get a pet platypus. So instead of you taking that little needle and dialing it in and poking yourself in the stomach, you just pull a platypus out of a box, right. you, shake him real hard. And yeah, piss you him get off rid of the it. insulin. Instead of doing that, you just kind of like tick off a platypus and hold him next to your stomach until he stabs you. <laughs> well, Chad. Yes. That's what happens when you watch nothing but cable news shows. Mm-hmm. You find out that platypi are, oh, I made them faux pas. Oh, oh platypuses are useful against diabetes, apparently. Hmm. It's an amazing example of how millions of years of evolution can shape molecules and optimize their function. Because <laughs> that's what... Platypus evolved like that because there was a high rate of diabetes in platypuses and they mysteriously developed that. So the doctor platypuses like go around and like stab the other ones and go, oh, now you're fine. <laughs> Just sounds like... Ate too much sugar. Sounds like some S&M. <laughs> professor Frank Grutzner at the University of Adelaide and Associate Professor of Brian E. Forbes. Whatever that is. Oh, Associate Professor Brian E. Forbes at Flinders University released the results of their new study of platypus venom and its medicinal qualities in the journal Scientific Reports. The hormone glucagon-like peptide 1, GLP-1, mm. a hormone also secreted in the guts of humans and many mammals, stimulates the release of insulin to lower blood glucose levels. The platypus also creates GLP-1 in its gut, but the form in its venom was more interesting and valuable because the GLP-1 in it lasts longer before degrading. We've discovered conflicting functions of GLP-1 in the platypus, in the gut as a regulator of blood glucose, and in venom to fend off other platypus males during breeding season. This tug-of-war between the different functions has resulted in dramatic changes in the GLP-1 system. Brianne Forbes decided that if you're going to check one monotreme, which is an egg-laying mammal found only in Australia and New Guinea, you might as well check them all. Turns out GLP-1 is also made in the guts of echidnas, but not delivered through spurs on the hind legs of echidna males. What's up with that? The lack of a spur on echidna, echidnas remains an evolutionary mystery, but the fact that both platypus and echidnas have evolved the same long-lasting form of the hormone GLP-1 is in itself a very exciting finding. These findings have the potential to inform diabetes treatment, one of our greatest health challenges. Although exactly how we can convert this finding into a treatment will need to be the subject of future research. The last thing rare male platypuses need is diabetic humans disturbing their mating by making the sounds of fertile females in hopes of getting stabbed by a venomous GLP-1 loaded spur. Wow. You know what all this makes me think of, right? Platypus are on the endangered species no, list. All the no, <laughs> I'm this is going to be completely from left field. So anyway, it's a new James Bond movie, and James Bond has to go stop this evil villain who's trying to kill off all these platypus. <laughs> Who happens to be diabetic. Yeah, he's diabetic, and but he's going to corner the market on his own. Uh, you know, he's got medication and treatment is this, stuff. Is, is this, Hang on, just stop. Is this leading to where I think it is? <laughs> it is, and. Uh, 
So this evil villain, he, he looks like Wilfred Brimley too, by the way, and <laughs> diabetes. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so they call him Platypussy. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's Platypussy. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> sure, we finally meet at last, Platypussy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, all I know is I think I'm going to have to invest in a, a black market plat. Black market pet platypus. You get them from Canada. Oh, Canadian platypus. Yeah, Canadian platypus instead of the you know you don't actually get it from. No, because the I mean, the, the pure there. strain of Australian mm. platypus is probably way too expensive. They have to cut them a little bit with beaver, so their tails are bigger. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The the beaver platypusy combination. I apologize to <laughs> everyone listening to the show right now. Hello, everyone. Anyway, so, so who knew? Yeah, so... Platypus. Yeah. Hmm. Who needs metformin? I don't know. Because the only bad thing is that there's no way to dial up your platypus. Like, oh, I need 20 units today. Twist his tail. <laughs> is that how you do it? Yeah. The harder you twist, the more you get. Stab, stab, stab in your face. The, the only... My concern is that I've heard that, you know, platypus venom causes the, mo- the most horrible pain that you've ever had in your life, so... If, if they find a way to take that away from the venom instead of like, my diabetes is under control, but I can't walk. Hmm. So platypus venom is the equivalent of getting griped at. Well, depends. <laughs> Undergarments. Well, so <laughs> is that our Paro news stories? That's all I believe it? that will do it for the Paro news stories. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, coming up after the break, Chad, uh-huh. we're talking about some crazy things. Uh-oh. Some people call them triangles. Some people call them other things. I like to call them the greatest musical instrument ever. <laughs> ding, ding. But we will be talking about some of the less famous vile vortices. Well. <laughs>
right, welcome back. Hello, hello. And like we said before the break, tonight we're talking about vile vortices, which uh, I'm sure everyone is familiar with the Bermuda Triangle. Sure. Which is the most famous vortex, vortex, vile vortex, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're going to leave that one out tonight and talk about six of the one lesser known ones. Six. Six. Is that many out there? Oh, there are... I forget his name, but back in the, I believe, late 60s, early 70s, a guy did research and wrote a book on it and named at 12 of them. 12. Hmm. Interesting. Very. Mm-hmm. And one thing I didn't know when I was looking the stories up and everything, there are apparently vile vortices, and then there are good vortices. <sighs> really? Yeah, you know, the vile ones eat planes and boats and people and things. The good ones don't do that. So they're just like regular places. <laughs> they're just normal places that people wow. are like, look, it's a vortex. Hey. No, I think it, I think they have some like healing properties and things like that attributed to them. Hmm, I need to find one of those. Uh, the only one I can remember that was on the good list was uh, the pyramids. Oh, in yeah. Egypt. I see. So hop on a plane. Mm-hmm. Three hum camel. Exactly. You know what you call a three hum camel, right? Uh, no. Pregnant. Wow. Ah, ah. Uh, if you haven't seen Zootopia, <laughs> check that out. Oh, so Chad, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with the first vortex today? Absolutely. I'm going to talk about the Bennington Triangle and the Man-Eating Stone of Glastonbury Mountain. That sounds like a B-movie in the making. Disney made it. <laughs> Did they? Uh-huh. They're branching out. Yeah. It was like Race to the Bennington Triangle and the Man-Eating Stone of Glastonbury Mountain. I think they're working on the new ride in Disneyland. Probably. Ah, known for high society fine dining, world-class skiing, (laughs) and mysterious disappearances, Vermont, one of the six U.S. states that make up the New England region, has been the focus of some of the better minds and anomalous or Fortean research over the years. One place in particular has gotten more than its fair share of attention, Glastonbury Mountain. Also known as Green Mountain or the Green Mountain Range, is home to some very strange goings-on and has inspired some of the wildest theories you've ever heard. I hear on Glastonbury Mountain, the dog none of the dogs have teeth. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't believe it. <laughs> the entire area of New England has been the primary focus of the renowned author and Fortean researcher Joseph A. Citro. Humorously dubbed the Bard of the Bazaar by the Boston Globe, Citro has written <laughs> extensively on the weird happenings, disappearances, and other phenomenon of New England, and especially Vermont. He is the originator of the somewhat little-known Bennington Triangle Theory, which is, as may seem obvious, a play on the Bermuda Triangle, and is his attempt to document and explain the disappearances of some five different people under mysterious circumstances since 1945, all on Glastonbury Mountain. On Glastonbury Mountain. Citro notes... In his premier novel, Shadow Child, 1987, (laughs) which deals extensively with the mysteries of Glastonbury Mountain, that the area of what is now called Green Mountain has long been known through Native American culture as a strange and dangerous place that is to be avoided at all costs. Citro's apparent familiarity with the history and traditions of the Algonquin peoples 
who inhabited the area as early as 8500 BCE, has given him unique insight into the special and dark nature of the mountain. Dark. The disappearances of Middle Rivers, 1945, Paula Weldon, 1946, James Tedford, 1949, Paul Jepson, 1950, and Frida Langer in 1950 are something of local legend in the area. 18-year-old Paula Weldon, who disappeared while on a solo hike on the Long Trail, became something of a celebrity. As the story goes, several people witnessed her departure from Bennington College with the knowledge that she was headed out for a short hike. Two elderly hikers reported seeing her on the trail approximately 100 yards ahead of them, minutes before she disappeared. They claimed that she rounded a corner on the trail, and when they reached the same corner, she was gone and was never seen or heard from again. Despite extensive searches, FBI involvement, and even a $5,000 reward for her safe return, her case became part of local urban legend. As people speculated about her becoming a wild recluse on the mountain, or perhaps fleeing to Canada to marry a boyfriend whose identity she kept secret. Oh, that, I've got a boyfriend in Canada. She had dark fears of a Trump president even way back then. <laughs> there are several coincidences involved in the disappearance, but no real connection between any of the cases has been found. James Tedford, also spelled T-E-F-O-R-D or T-E-T-F-O-R-D, disappeared from a bus between stops as it traveled toward Bennington exactly three years to the day from Weldon's disappearance. Also, eight-year-old Paul Jepson, who disappeared from his mother's truck while she tended to her pigs, was tracked with dogs. His <laughs> scent, yeah, His scent was apparently picked up and followed to a local highway, which happened to be very near where Paula Weldon had disappeared. The only one of the five to have ever been recovered was 53-year-old Frida Langer who disappeared during a hike with her cousin only 16 days after little Paul Jepson. Her body was recovered seven months later near the Somerset Reservoir, which had been searched extensively at the time of her disappearance. No cause of death could be determined because of the advanced state of decay in which she was found. Strange coincidences notwithstanding, there isn't much about these disappearances that warrants Fordian attention, at least on the surface. People go missing. It happens every day all over the world, and... It's a tragic event. It isn't necessarily anomalous or even all that weird, except, according to Citro, the Bennington Triangle, an ill-defined area surrounding Glastonbury Mountain and roughly bordered by the region of Bennington itself, bears striking resemblance to the nearby Bridgewater Triangle of Massachusetts. Citro claims that there is similar folklore and history between these two areas and has put forward some slightly strange explanations for the weirdness held therein. Perhaps his strangest explanation is the man-eating stone of Glastonbury Mountain, making its first appearance in Citro's book, The Vermont Monster Guide, in 2009. The man-eating stone is exactly what it sounds like, a rock that eats people. Scary. No one alive has seen this dangerous anomaly on Glaston Mountain. <laughs> Native Americans knew of it and warned people away. We can only imagine it as a sizable rock large enough to stand on, but when someone stands upon it, the rock becomes less solid and like... A living thing swallows the unfortunate trespasser. A number of disappearances have been reported on Glastonbury Mountain. Could all these vanished folks have stepped inadvertently onto this hungry stone? In another of his books, Passing Strange, True Tales of New England Hauntings and Horrors, 1996, Citro describes an inaccessible region remote full of dark places, jutting outcrops, vast marshlands, and quiet pools. He seems to regard the entire region as a magical land of mysteries and danger, almost fairy tale like but describes a wild, almost untouched wilderness setting in the heart of America's society's upper crust. 
summer vacation destination. So, there you have it, sir. Man eating rock. You could wander off into the forest for a nice trot in nature and get eaten by a stone. Well, just don't stand on any large rocks. What if you don't know until it's too late? I mean, it's rock. You walk out to an outcrop, you think it's an outcrop, and actually you just walk out onto the edge of that rock that's hanging out on the edge. Next thing you know, rock chow. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I think the part where no one has seen this, but they were just like, yeah, I'm a man-eating rock. Hey, I've never seen a baby pigeon, but I know they exist. No, they don't. <laughs> Pigeons hatch full-grown. Do they? Are they hatchimals? <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Or the, although, I hope they would be, because then they I are would eBay throw that suckers. thing on eBay. And you would know that's what my oldest daughter wants for Christmas. Yes, I am sure she does. Hey, any uh, Paranormal Guys fans out there that would like to uh, make a eight, a seven-year-old's Christmas all that more special and happen to have a Hatchimal that they would like to mail to us, feel yeah. free. Sure. I believe she would like a Draggle. Yeah. If you have one, please just sell it and take the money and buy a bunch of shirts. Or make a seven-year-old girl's Christmas. Oh, she gets her Christmas made every year. She's fine. So moving on, Chad. Yes, sir. So we had the Bennington Triangle. Yes, sir. And now we're switching locations mm-hmm. a little bit northwest. And we're going to talk about the mystery of the Alaska Triangle. Oh, no. Yes. Now, this one I think there's an explanation for. Do they call this one the pipeline to evil? They do. Okay. There are certain areas of this planet that seem to be magnets for missing persons and mysterious disappearances. For whatever reasons, people come to such places and simply vanish, never to return. Mm. Many know of the more famous of these places, such as the Bermuda Triangle, but there are more such anomalous zones to be found around the world. Perhaps one of the more little-known of these regions that are seemingly hungry for more souls is a vast expanse of wilderness in the northernmost U.S. state of Alaska. A cold, barren place that has the habit of holding on to people and refusing to let go. Alaska's Bermuda Triangle is said to encompass a large, sprawling section of the state all the way from the southeastern region near Juneau and... How would I know? Uh, Juneau? No. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Juneau? No. You do. (laughs) Uh, Near Juneau and Yakutat, once again, we apologize to anyone that's offended by our pronunciation of hard words. And all the way up to the north to the Barrow Mountain Range and to Anchorage in the middle of the state. Within this zone are vast areas of largely unexplored wilderness, including sprawling forests, craggy mountain peaks, and desolate barren tundra. Like the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The region sports an unusually high number of people, both tourists and locals, who go missing every year without a trace, as how do, if... How do they know these people are high? I don't know. Oh. They can tell. Oh. Bloodshot eye. Yes. Who go missing every year without a trace, as if they have vanished off the face of the earth. And additionally, many planes have also disappeared or inexpl- inexplicably crashed here. It is said that since 1988, a staggering 16,000 people have vanished in the so-called Alaska Triangle. The hell you say? To never be heard from again. Yet a bit. Since 1988, 16,000 people? That's a pretty good chunk of polar bear food. One of the most high-profile mysterious disappearances within the Alaska Triangle occurred in October of 1972 
when an airplane carrying none other than two prominent politicians, House Majority Leader Hale Boggs and Representative Nick, we're going to go with Representative Nick, <laughs> along with an aide, Russell Brown, and their bush pilot, Don Johns. Listen. No, just John Johns. <laughs> Mysteriously vanished in the region while on their way from Anchorage to Juneau aboard a Cessna 310 aircraft. The disappearance of such prestigious public figures sparked an intense search that lasted for 39 days and involved over 400 aircraft, get this, including an SR-71 Blackbird. And dozens of boats, including 12 from the Coast Guard, yet no evidence of what happened to the three men or the plane was ever found, and the men were declared dead. Why didn't they send Snake Plissken? What is that? You don't know who Snake Plissken is. Is that like Bear Grylls? Well, kind of, except he's Snake Plissken. It's, uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, that damn John Carpenter movie where the president's plane crashes in there and they send him in to get him back. Air Force One. No, when Snake Pl- they send Snake Plissken in uh, to get him back. It's uh, Die Hard. Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. Okay. Snake Plissken. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. He yeah. could have got him back in 24 hours. Probably. Maybe. Kurt Russell. Pork Chop Express. <laughs> the disappearance actually sparked some conspiracy theories of the time, which some people, claiming that the crash had been orchestrated, or at least was covered up by the head of the FBI at the time, J. Edgar Hoover, mm. in response to intense power struggles he had with Boggs. To this day, no trace of the men or the plane, not so much as a bolt or scrap of metal, has ever been found. Have you ever had any relatives dress up as J. Edgar Hoover for, for Halloween? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Probably not. Chad? Yeah? What is going on on this remote, unexplored wilderness that causes so many people to disappear without a trace? Hell if I know. It largely depends on who you ask, and ideas run the gamut from the plausible to the fringe. The area has long been associated with evil spirits in the lore of the native Tlingit people of the region, <laughs> with one notorious entity being Kushtaka. Kushtaka. You gotta watch him. Mm-hmm. A shape-shifting demon that is said to look like a cross between man and otter, mm-hmm. and is said to lure hapless people to their doom, in particular those who are lost. He does that cute little floating on his back otter thing, and people go, oh, look at the cute little otter, and that's when he gets them. You know what he says right before he kills you? What's that? If you ain't sleeping on water, you otter. And then he just kills them. Does he help him? Does he make the people help him crack any clams open before he kills them? He probably does on his little cute belly. Yeah, hey, I can't find a rock to get, can you help? Pot belly of evil. And then, yeah, then stabbings happen. Cracks her head open. Probably has a platypus. Probably. Another theory is that the Alaska Triangle com- comprises one of the so-called vile vortices mm. or geographical areas around the planet postulated by American researcher and cryptozoologist Ivan T. Sanderson that are claimed to exhibit extreme electric, magnetic, and electromagnetic anomalies <laughs> as well as energy vortexes, also called ley lines, which are theorized subterranean electromagnetic currents. Naturally, the most famous of these vile vortices is the notorious Bermuda Triangle, but they are also said to exist in places as far flung as the Algerian megaliths to the south of Timbuktu, the Indus Valley in Pakistan, Hamakakulia Volcano in Hawaii, the Devil's Sea near Japan, the South Atlantic, and both the North and South Poles. Hmm. 
Various famous places such as Stonehenge, Easter Island, and the pyramids in Egypt also are said to lie on vortices, and indeed it is claimed by some to be the reason these monuments were erected there in the first place. Well, we get we get into the part of this where I, I kind of go, yeah, yeah, it's Alaska. Mm-hmm. According to authorities, the disappearances are due to a completely different reason altogether. Statistically, Alaska has more annual missing persons reports than anywhere else in the country, twice the national average. It also has the highest number of missing people who are never found. In 2007, for instance, 2,833 people were reported missing. And when compared to the state's comparatively low population, around 670,000 at the time, that equates to about four in every 1,000 people vanish. The reasons for this are many. Alaska has vast swaths of remote wilderness. Over half of the entire nation's federally designated wilderness recognized when the Wilderness Act was passed in 1964. Around 57 million acres, with even more that is not specifically designated as protected, protected land, and much of this is nearly completely untouched by humans. This harsh landscape is full of all manner of perils, including unforgiving weather, hazardous terrain, dangerous wild animals, harrowing geological dangers, with Alaska being the home of around 100 active volcanoes. <laughs> Considering this massive amount of rugged wilderness, which riddled with countless potential hazards, and the fact that many tourists who come here to camp and hike are underprepared, it's perhaps no surprise that a good amount of people may become lost in the middle of nowhere, encounter some danger that incapacitates them, bears, and prevents them from getting back to civilization, eaten, or are just simply are killed by wild animals or the elements. Why are the disappearances seemingly more concentrated in Alaska Triangle than elsewhere in the state? Hungrier. <laughs> more bears. <laughs> but it does cover a large area of some of the most wild and untamed such land in the state. So, a lot of people go missing. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of untouched anything in Alaska. So, you are you go, I'm going to go hiking out in the wilderness. Killed by a bear, eaten. Not going to find you. Yeah. Lots of mountains and trees and everything. I'm going to go flying in my little plane and see stuff. Crash. In the trees, nobody ever finds you. Mm-hmm. Can't bob Denver in Alaska. No. That's for sure. <laughs> Mountain mama. The crash don't kill you. The, the bears, bears will. will. So, the Alaska Triangle, interesting enough, but I think that one's a little bit more on the, yeah, just dumb people get eaten or lost. <laughs> so, you crash your plane out there. You survive the crash. You come out, and you're surrounded by bears. Yeah, I can't believe I survived the play. Oh, crap. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, he's cute, but he really doesn't have enough beard for me. And they eat him. Maul, maul. So he's mauled by bears. Bite. Eat, eat. <laughs> Truly. Slash. Huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking bears have snacked on some 16,000 people since 1988. There's probably bears that have crapped out a lot of toe bones. Toe bones? Uh-huh, toe bones. <laughs> That's why they never found any stuff from that plane crash. Mm-hmm. Bears ate it. That's right. Bear scat. They're like, ooh, tasty nuts and bolts. <laughs> These bears scattered. Who cares about nuts and berries? There's nuts and bolts. <laughs> yeah. So, don't go hiking in Alaska unless you know what you're doing with a heavy coat and a gun. Well, even then, it's Alaska. Yeah. It's the land of man-eating bears and Sarah Palin. And volcanoes, apparently. Yeah, didn't know that. I didn't either. Hmm. Who knew? Didn't know it was known for the volcanic activity. You'd think it'd be warmer. Well, Chad, 
Yeah. Now, uh-huh. Juno. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you. Moving forward. Yes. Yes. As mentioned in the first triangle story, this one is the Bridgewater Triangle. The Bridgewater Triangle area, although not an official vile vortex, the inland Bridgewater Triangle is likely one of the world's most concentrated areas of diverse paranormal reports. Located just 30 miles south of Boston, the 200-mile square area has the Massachusetts town of Abington, Freetown, and, now I don't know if I'm going to say this right. It's Who knows? Rehoboth, R-E-H-O-B-O-T-H, at its angles. Hoth. Yeah, Hoth. The <laughs> town of Bridgewater is located nearly dead center within the triangle, and the area also encompasses six other Massachusetts towns, Ranham, Tauntaun. What? Yeah, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Brockton, Mansfield, Norton, and Easton. You know, Gizzy by herself sounds like two tauntauns either mating or fighting. She's out there going. Do tauntauns fight? I don't know. They, they probably do. I bet they do. I bet they headbutt each, headbutt each other. Uh, maybe. The mysterious landmarks of the Bridgewater Triangle are the Hockamock Swamp. Hockamock. Like saying that. The Hockamock Swamp, a 5,000 plus acre area, lies within the western section of Bridgewater Triangle and is the hub of many paranormal reports. Also, the site of an 8,000 year old Native American burial ground. When archaeologists opened up the graves of Grassy Island, the red ochre within the tombs bubbled and then mysteriously disappeared. Well, there you go. You opened up 8,000-year-old Native American burial. I mean, you know what happens. I mean, don't build a house on that. Don't bury your pets there. Photographs <laughs> taken of the excavation would not develop. The swamp remains shrouded in superstition called the place where spirits dwell by the Wampanoag tribe and the Native American Algonquin nation. The Wampanoag avoided the Hockamock Swamp, and the area remains a place filled with the foreboding. Then there's Dighton Rock. On the banks of the Taun... I'm just going to say Tauntaun River. It's, it's, I'm sure it's like Tauntaun. Tauntaun River area, Dighton Rock, lies across the grassy island burial grounds of Hockamock Swamp. Numerous inscriptions of unknown origins are carved into the face of the rock, although various speculations attribute them to Native Americans, Vikings, and even Phoenicians. Their identity has never been specifically determined. Or Phoenicians. Profile rock. Huh? Phoenicians. Isn't that what I said? No, you said Phoenicians. Oh. Even Phoenicians. Their you identity... say Phoenicians. I say Phoenicians. Phoenicians. Let's call the whole thing the off. Just, just continue. Oh. <laughs> their identity has never been specifically determined. Profile Rock. Profile Rock is another Bridgewater Triangle landmark. Now, I've seen I don't like Profile Rock, rock because cool. it judges people. That's not true. It has <laughs> nothing to do with TSA. <laughs> Profile Rock is another Bridgewater Triangle landmark that has gained a paranormal reputation. Located in Freetown from a nearby hill, the rock shows a clear portrait of a Native American face looking out from the stone. Long before Massachusetts colonists arrived, Wampanoag people considered Profile Rock sacred. Now it's covered in spray paint and graffiti. Probably so. A recent, no, it is. I recently oh, is it? saw it in a documentary. Local legends claim that the Native American ghost dancers in warrior dress dance around Profile Rock singing things like Cerise. Oh, awesome. Ghost dancers. Square Hammer? Get it? No. Oh. Uh, Anawan Rock, located in Hockamock Swamp along <laughs> Route 44 in, I'm going to say this again, Real Beth, Real Both, 
probably wrong. Anawan Rock is named for Chief Anawan and is the site where Chief Anawan surrendered to the colonist, ending King Philip's War. Legend says that the angry spirits of Chief Anawan's warriors continue to haunt the area, starting spectral fires and ghost dancing. Spectral fires. Spectral fires. What Does a spectral fire, like, burn anything? I think you get an unemployment check for it. Bridgewater oh. Triangle Phenomena. Paranormal researcher Lauren Coleman, and Lauren uh, is trying to get some uh, money raised to pay some medical bills right now, so if you can kick a little change towards Lauren, that would be nice. Uh, who named the Bridgewater Triangle in the 1970 revived public attention to the many paranormal reports emanating from the area. Aside from the number and diversity of paranormal reports, what is phenomenal about the Bridgewater Triangle is that the first report of paranormal activity was made over three centuries ago in 1760. At 10 a.m. on May 10, 1760, a sphere of fire was reported to hover over New England <laughs> and emit a light so bright that it cast shadows in the morning sun. Reportedly, the light was seen by both Bridgewater and Roxbury. Since then, the area has spawned a diversity of reports that include paranormal events that range from ghost answers to UFOs to cryptozoological sightings. Bridgewater Triangle UFOs. The 1760 report is likely the first documented UFO report on the planet. However, it certainly wasn't the last UFO report to come out of the Bridgewater Triangle. Halloween 1908 marked another UFO sighting documented in local newspapers. 1968, five people claim they saw a strange ball of light floating among the trees in a wooded part of Rioboth. In 1970, UFOs were frequently reported to occur in different areas of the Bridgewater Triangle. In one 1976 report, two UFOs were seen landing along Route 44 near Taunton. In 1994, a Bridgewater law enforcement officer reported seeing a triangular-shaped craft with red and white lights. The Ooh. town of Raynham has frequently received reports of glowing balls of light floating over the ground at a local dog track. What town reported that? Uh, Raynham. Damn near killed him. <laughs> well... How about some mysterious creatures? What about them? Well, they've been showing up too. Cryptozoological sightings are numerous and varied in the Bridgewater Triangle. In 1970, reports of a Bigfoot-like, seven-foot-tall, hairy monster in its footprints instigated both the Bridgewater and Massachusetts State Police Canine Unit to conduct a search for a bear. However, neither man nor bear was ever found. One man reported it may have been his wife who disappeared a few days earlier and was on a drinking binge. <laughs> I added that last part. In 1976, a paranormal researcher, Joseph M. DeAndrade, claimed to have observed another such creature as it slowly walked into the brush of the Hockamock Swamp about 200 yards from his location. He chronicled his sightings in the 1997 book, Passing Strange, True Tales of New England Hauntings and Horrors. Not all the creatures that allegedly inhabit the Bridgewater Triangle are landbound. Since 1971, several sightings of a phenomenally large black birds with wingspans that stretch from 8 to 12 feet have been reported as well. Coincidentally, the first of these reports originated from Bird Hill in Hockamock Swamp. Convenient. True. In 1984, two of these avian creatures were allegedly seen fighting in midair. <laughs> the Bridgewater Triangle Ghostly Specters. Besides the legends that tale of Native American ghost dancers, reports of several... Contemporary ghostly specters came from the Bridgewater Triangle. A mysterious red-headed hitchhiker haunts a stretch of Route 44 in Railboth. A ghostly phantom appears in Hockamock Swamp near Route 138. From Freetown, a ghostly trucker is rumored to speed along the winding Coppicut Road, blaring his horn and threatening passing motorists. 
And if you happen to see him, tell him that Large Marge sent you. <laughs> nice. So, there's just a little bit of the Bridgewater Triangle. Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. Chad? Yes, sir. So, so far, we've talked about mm-hmm. nice little terrestrial triangles and crazy things. Yeah. Well, we're going to go up a little bit. Uh-oh. Into space. Oh. And talk about there. the South Atlantic Anomaly. Uh-oh. The vile vortices are areas of the Earth where unearthly occurrences are frequent. South Atlantic Anomaly is one of these vile vortices. However, unlike the instrument malfunctions and disappearances of aircraft and sea craft reported in the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Sea, the South Atlantic Anomaly is famous for the malfunctions generated in spacecraft and the mysterious physical phenomena reported by astronauts. They become weightless. No, wait. Really? <laughs> Their pee floats mysteriously. Ew. Little balls of floating pee. Ew. In your eyeball. Oh. Happens if you yawn real big and one floats in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would just turn into Bear girls then. Probably. Ever, could you imagine if they did a chain reaction vomit in space? <laughs> but you just... <laughs> and then I... <laughs> <laughs> How bad does it have to get before you just pop the hatch and go, I can't take it anymore? I think at some point it starts to short everything out and you crash to Earth. Oh. Yeah. Well, encircling the Earth like a large lifesaver, the Van Allen Belt is a two-banded radiation field that forms the Earth's magnetic field. The Van Allen Belt traps radioactive particles that originate from solar flares and shields the Earth from the strong solar winds that emanate from our sun. The band closest to Earth traps protons, and the band furthest from Earth traps electrons. The proton belt is 750 to 800 miles, or 1,200 to 1,300 kilometers, high, except for one spot. Over the South Atlantic Anomaly, off the lower coast of Brazil, it dips as close as 124 miles, or 200 kilometers, from the Earth's surface. Our spacecraft generally fly below the proton belt, but over the SAA, the South Atlantic Anomaly. The proximity to Earth puts our satellites, the International Space Station, and even the space shuttles, back when they flew, in the path of the intense radiation generated by the trapped protons of the inner Van Allen belt. As spacecraft pass over the South Atlantic Anomaly, instruments often malfunction or lock up entirely. That would be terrifying. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> and he would, too. I, I mean, I would. ROSAT was an X-ray observatory that flew during the 1990s. Its position-sensitive proportional counters had to be turned off as it passed through the SAA to prevent severe damage. In 1999, NASA launched the Terra Earth Observing System to study global climate change. As the system passed over the South Atlantic Anomaly just one day after launch, an anomalously high current passed through the motor drive assembly, sending its antenna into safe mode and preventing it from communicating data to tracking and data relay system satellites. In 2001, NASA's MODIS satellite was rendered inoperative as it passed through the South Atlantic Anomaly. It took over two weeks to get the satellite back online. 
The Hubble Space Telescope experiences gyroscopic failures and errors in communications as it passes through the anomaly. Uh, the anomaly causes random upsets in the altimeter of the Topex satellite as it flies at an altitude of 1,000 kilometers. Space shuttle observations are interrupted by instrument disruptions when the Columbia passed through the SAA. Astronauts report seeing random flashes of light with their eyes closed. These flashes are believed to be caused by particles striking sensitive areas of the retina. Hmm. As well as disrupting electronics, high-energy particles that pass through the human body can disrupt cell function. Although no astronauts have experienced space radiation sickness, concern over how flying through the anomaly might affect the health of the astronauts led NASA to create FRED. And who's FRED? Oh, well. FRED is the Phantom Torso. Mm. Wasn't he on the tick? Probably. Or no, that was Venture Brothers. Oh, he was Phantom Limb. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Fred was developed to measure the amount of radi radiation to which astronauts are exposed. Phantom Fred had no arms or legs, but he did have a heart. Brain, thyroid, colon, and other organs made from a special made plastic that closely matches human tissue. You'd think his name would have been Phantom Matt. Why is that, Chad? Because he has no arms or legs, and they probably hang him or lay him on the ground. I don't know. Wow. If they if they hung him on the wall, he'd be Phantom Art. Wow. <laughs> After constructing Fred, NASA sliced him into thirty five horizontal sections and installed dosimeters, which are radiation detectors, mm -hmm. in each section. Then Fred was deployed to serve a four month mission on the International Space Station. A total of 416 lithium-based dosimeters recorded the total radiation dose received during Fred's mission. Five active silicon diode detectors placed in the Phantom's vital organs tracked the times that the radiation exposure took place. Fred's mission was successful and gave NASA the information it needed to conclude that space travel is safe, even though flying through, even when flying through the South Atlantic anomaly. Hmm. Take that, conspiracy theorists. We can't fly in space, you die. Well, Fred says no. Fred Fred lived, obviously. That's right. <laughs> to eat fruity pebbles another day. <laughs> Barney! That sounds nothing like Fred Flintstone. I don't know. But, you know, Fred Flintstone from the serial commercial sounded very different from Fred Flintstone well, in the series originally. Voice actors. He sounded more like that. Uh, well, it was the same guy who did the voiceover for. Well, him. only thirty years later. Yeah. Well, what, who? What was the? Uh, uh the sheriff Frank in Wilker and the Bandit. What was his name? Oh, Hoyt Axton. Anyway, <laughs> the whenever they dub it over for TV, so you wouldn't hear him say all the cuss words. It was the guy that did the Fred Flintstone voice in the serial commercials doing it. So he'd go from talking, you know, like normal to. The Fred Flintstone serial commercial voice. Interesting. And say dad gum a lot. Well. Anyway. <laughs> this will probably get all cut out. The one I'm going to talk about next, Chris. I never cut any of the little anecdotes you sure. throw into the show. The one I'm going to speak of next is the Dragon's Triangle or the Devil's Sea. Off the coast of Japan. Do they have a name in Japanese for that, Chad? Gojira. <laughs> Off the coast of Japan, almost exactly opposite the Bermuda Triangle. Of course it would be. Exactly. Mm. The Dragon's Triangle is noted for similar paranormal disturbances. 
Also, like the Bermuda Triangle, the Dragon's Triangle doesn't appear on any official global maps. Like Area 51. Mm, that's right. Dragon's Triangle, Devil's Sea, or Mono-Umi. There is a Japanese name for it. Mono-Umi. Mono-umi. Means you can only hear it on one channel of sound. That's right. Only you can only hear it from one side. The Japanese call it Mano Umi. Do they? They do. The Sea of the Devil. <gasps> Often compared to the Bermuda Triangle, the Dragon's Triangle is an area where seagoing vessels and aircraft allegedly mysteriously disappear. Besides disappearing planes and ships, phenomena that are linked to the Dragon's Triangle include <laughs> ghost ships, USOs, lapses in time and electronic equipment malfunctions. Some writers, including Charles Berlitz, even link the Dragon's Triangle to the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. In case you didn't know, investigations into the Devil's Sea, probably the most extensive investigation into the Dragon's Triangle, was performed by author Charles Berlitz in his book, The Dragon's Triangle, 1989, Berlitz reports that in the years from 1952 to 1954, five Japanese military vessels were lost in the Triangle with personnel totaling over 700 people. He also writes that the Japanese government labeled the area a danger zone. I went through the danger zone. Oh, yeah? Was there a highway leading there? Going to take a ride Mm -hmm. through the danger zone. Well, yes. And then funded a team of over 100 scientists to study the Devil's Sea, According to Berlitz, when their vessel, the Cayo Maru, <laughs> Cayo Maru, hmm, number five, it was number five. I think I remember that song, Cayo Maru, number five. One, <laughs> two, three, four, A little five. bit of Gojira in, in my, my life. Uh, yeah. A little bit of Gamera for my wife. <laughs> And Mosera ate my wife. I don't know. <laughs> uh, number five disappeared. Japan aborted the study. Mm. However, in 1995, Larry Kush published the Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved and reported that his research found that Berlitz's military vessels were mostly fishing vessels. Once again, I mean, sea monster. Some lost outside the Dragon's Triangle. Kush also wrote that the Japanese research vessel carried not 100 personnel, but 31. <laughs> and that an undersea volcano destroyed it on September 24th, 1952. The Japanese government later recovered some of the ship's wreckage. Kush's research points to indications that volcanoes, seismic events, and other natural occurrences cause most of the paranormal activity within the Dragon's Triangle. The Dragon's Triangle is a very volcanically active area, Small islands in the area frequently disappear, and new islands appear due to both volcanoes and seismic activity. Legends of the Dragon's Triangle, contrary to some pop culture belief, neither the Dragon's Triangle nor the Bermuda Triangle is located on the Gonic Line, where the magnetic north equals the geographic north. The position of the Gonic Line varies with time, and at the present, the North American section of the line is drifting westward. Moreover, because neither location is plotted on any official world map, the sizes and the perimeters of both the Dragon's Triangle and the Bermuda Triangle vary from author to author. Ancient legends, some dating back to 1000 BCE, tell of the dragons that lived off the coast of Japan, and presumably that is how the area became known as the Dragon's Triangle. The fire-breathing monsters of legend may well have been volcanic eruptions. 
So it wasn't Godzilla. That might have been Godzilla. It wasn't Godzilla after all. Lies. Gojira. I think it was. Hmm. It could have been. Monster Island. A lot of cover-ups when you have radioactive monsters. Yeah, you, they, you don't want to get that getting out. That's going to ruin tourism. That's true. So there you go, Chris. How you feel about it? I like it. Mm-hmm. Anything weird. The Devil's Sea. Near Japan, or in Japan, or in a Japanese forest. Located on a mound of undersea skulls on the 66.6 degree latitude. Mm-hmm. The Devil's Sea. So, Chad, what do you know about Nevada? Uh, not much, really. I mean, you've got Las Vegas. Uh-huh. I mean, I know that. Reno. Reno. 911. Area 51. Is that in Nevada? Yeah, that's in, it's in Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. It's right. in Arizona. Isn't there Area no, 51? it's Arizona? Area 51. I think it's Nevada. You sure? Yeah. Hell, I don't know where I'm going, then. I think it's in Nevada. I mean, you, Bunny Ranch. <laughs> okay, Google. Where is Area 51 located? Oh, now you're now you're freaking marked on the FBI list. Nevada. According to Wikipedia, Area 51 is located in the southern portion of Nevada in the western United States, 83 miles north northwest of Las Vegas. Lumos. Thank you, Siri. It wasn't Siri. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, Chad, there's something else in Nevada you might not have heard of. Huh? Mysterious vanishings at the Nevada Triangle. Throughout the world, are, there are places that seem to be destined to forever be linked to mysterious, inexplicable vanishings. From the Bermuda Triangle to the Bennington Triangle, we have triangles galore. Often triangles that reach out to make people simply disappear from the face of the earth. These places are, in a sense, hungry. Drawing in people who would dare to reach forth into the wilds, only to keep what they have gained to never return them. One probably lesser known such place lies out across a large expanse of dusty desert and mountain in the state of Nevada, and it is a location that seems to be every bit as enigmatic and ominous as any of its brethren. It's very dramatic. It is. Sprawled out over a vast expanse of 25,000 square miles of a desolate landscape of desert mountains and scrub near the Sierra Nevada Mountains and Great Basin Desert in the U.S. state of Nevada... Looking as if it is the surface of another planet is an area that has over the years accrued for itself a rather sinister reputation. Besides being in the vicinity of the notorious top-secret Area 51 and a range of strange UFO sightings, the region has also become a mysterious place where hundreds, perhaps even thousands, of planes have flown into, never to return, earning it the ominous nickname of the Nevada Triangle. Spooky. Scary. The Nevada Triangle is typically defined as spanning from Las Vegas in the southeast to Fresno in the west and to Reno at the top. It is said that this moonscape of sparsely populated rugged wilderness has been the site of some estimated 2,000 aircraft crashes over the past 60 or so years, with many of these happening under mysterious circumstances. With experienced pilots, without any clear reason, and with wreckage never found. In some cases, these have been rather large, rugged military aircraft, such as a B-24 Liberator and a B-17 Flying Fortress. 
One of the reasons that is given for so many planes going missing here is the sudden fury of the area's weather. The Sierra Nevada mountains run perpendicular to the jet stream, or high Pacific winds, which conspire with the sheer high-altitude peaks and wedge-shaped range to create volatile, unpredictable winds and downdrafts that can wreak havoc on smaller aircraft. This weather phenomena is sometimes called the mountain wave. <laughs> it's the generic Mountain Dew. And can literally pluck up airplanes from the air and toss them down to go hurtling into the earth like toys. Another factor could be simple pilot error. With inexperienced pilots not quite knowing how to handle the turbulence or the disorienting mountain terrain of the area. With its sharp canyons and soaring cliffs, indeed many pilots who have nearly crashed in the Nevada Triangle near the Sierra Nevada have reported experiencing a deep sense of confusion and profound disorientation during their flights. Adding to the mysterious quality of the region is that many of the crashed planes have never been found. This is most likely due to the inaccessibility of the remote area, but sometimes things are stranger. One Army fighter pilot, Lieutenant Leonard Linden, said he parachuted from his plane when his squadron got hopelessly lost in the mountains here. He claimed to have clearly seen the P-40 fighter go down about a mile from his position near the Sequoia and King Canyon National Parks and was sure that he knew where it had crashed. However, when a search team returned to the area, he specified no sign of any wreckage or the plane could be found. Mysterious. So, what's going on here? Hell if I know. Is it aliens? The government covering up its top secret Area 51? Magnetic anomalies? Or something even stranger? Or are we just dealing with freaky weather that has a tendency for crushing smaller aircraft coupled with the remote, unforgiving wastelands? There will probably always be tales of places on this planet that disappear people without a trace. We may not ever know the reasons why or how, but they will always capture our imagination. These places will always lie out there just beyond our reach and beyond our current capacity to comprehend them. And tonight, you have witnessed one. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So, crazy, mysterious, triangle, vile vortice anomaly, ley line things. Strange and unusual indeed. They are strange and unusual. They are. End of the day, Chad, what's your, what's your thinking on these? Don't travel those areas. Is, is it a, I should be afraid there's something weird going on here, or is it one of those... Bears, weather. I'm not going to say that there's not something strange going on, but I do believe that there's just areas where people encounter bears more. Uh, what do you want to say? There's there's places where the odds of something happening are a lot higher due to weather conditions, natural phenomena, whatever. Right now, there could I could be totally wrong. It could be Bigfoot in a flying saucer with a special <laughs> tractor beam. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep tonight now. Yeah, see, those are just places I need to avoid. They are. Mm -hmm. But you know one place you don't need to avoid, Chad? What's that, Chris? Paranormalguys.com. Oh, yeah? That is your one-stop shopping place for everything Paranormal Guys. You can go there and listen to the show. You can see all kinds of weird, groovy pics of me and Chad doing groovy things. There are links to a few things we really like and support. Like there's a link up to our uh, Humane Society fundraiser. Mm -hmm. There is also a little sign-up sheet to get email notifications when new shows drop. There's a way to email us from the website. Chad's still waiting on enough of those uh, 
listener stories. Still need more listener stories. So we could have a whole show of listener stories? I would like to have that. It's all Chad wants for Christmas is a drone and listener stories. That's true. If I could get one of those two things, I'd be satisfied. Which would you rather have? Seriously. Um... <laughs> uh, you could say dr- you could say drone. It's okay. Drone. Oh, you alienated half our audience. Totally too. drone. Chad doesn't care about us. <laughs> totally drone. <laughs> so head on over to paranormalguys.com and do all that groovy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you're wearing the freaking Evil Dead shirt, and that's what makes me keep saying groovy. Groovy. Subconsciously, I'm a groovy. Oh, what do you do? it says groovy too. Mm-hmm. Uh, another place you can go is our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash guys, And that always has links to the shows up and is a way to find out when new shows drop, just like subscribing to our little uh, new episode reminder email list. Chad puts some cool, interesting links up there from time to time. I try. <laughs> you do a wonderful job, sir. Thank you. <laughs> And one other thing you should do while you're looking at the old Paranormal Guys Facebook page, head on over to William Blanchard's Facebook page at facebook.com slash William Blanchard Soundtrack. As we mentioned earlier, uh, he's the gentleman that does the music for the show, has a new track out, need to go listen to, was our first guest on the show. Musical genius. And is a musical genius. Mm -hmm. So go visit his Facebook page, like that, share it, give him some love, and... In closing, yes, Chris. Any last thoughts, Chad? Um, bacon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just bacon. Yeah, it's just all I could think of right that second. <laughs> just bacon. Yeah, bacon. When in doubt, bacon. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Words to live by. True. And as always, Chad. <laughs> yes. Have a paro normal weeks. Mama say, Mama saw, Mama kusa.